0: G'day everybody, and for those who have come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast.
1: Ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck, and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die.
0: The,
1: the ghost who walked the the enemies
0: where the Phantom's always there, but you won't find the he Hello, we are the Chronicle Chamber team, and this is Expand the Phantom Podcast. Our website is chroniclechamber.com, and you can also contact us via our email, which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our podcasts at our YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and the various other Android apps. My name is Jermaine, and today I am joined by the full crew in Dan and Stephen. How are you going, guys?
2: Very good, Jim. Very good. Happy to be here. It's a Sunday night, um, and happy to be talk- talking to
0: Well, what's the other option, mate? Watching uh, MasterChef?
2: Yeah, well, Lego Masters is finished now, um, so <laughs> and I'm not into MasterChef. So, yeah, but I did enjoy Lego Masters while I was going around. <laughs>
0: That's good. Stephen, how are you, mate?
3: Yeah, good, doing well. I'm glad to um to be back on board. It's been a couple of podcasts without me, I think, uh, at the moment. So I'm glad I've been able to to get away from it. Uh, we we watched Lego Masters on the catch up. My kids are into it, which is really good. <laughs> which means um the wallet cops are, are hiding though, because Lego's not not uh, not cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's Slightly probably a good thing. It's probably a good
0: thing, Stephen, if your football team's sucking at the moment as well, that you're watching something else. <laughs> uh, it's good to do the the rebuilding stage and the building yeah. up stage. Yeah, yeah, so, building, yeah. rebuilding, yeah,
3: yeah. 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 I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very
0: good. Very good. So um, so thank you for joining us, guys. Thank you for joining into to us, listeners. Uh, today we've got a special guest. Uh, his name is uh, Glenn. He's not the Glenn Ford that most people will know. He's Glenn Lumsden. And um, I'm looking forward to speaking to Glenn. Uh, I've, I've been speaking to him on and off for, you know, for a good couple of years. Um, we've been talking about this, this uh, guest for the podcast for a while as well. And um, Stephen, I think we may have someone who actually lives in a colder part of Australia than you.
3: <laughs> well, you live in Gordon down the
0: road. <laughs> so uh, Glenn, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Um, so where, whereabouts, where, where do we find you today? I'm in a little
1: town called Deloraine in Tasmania.
3: And Um, what? Probably got me beat then. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's what I thought it might be, uh, colder than you, Stephen. (laughs) Um, so first of all, thank you for joining us on the podcast, Glenn. Um, now for those who have come in late, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your age or your range of your age, your career, and then, and then we can just kind of go from there because um, uh, we've got a few questions and then we can kind of shoot from there.
1: Yep. Um, I'm 57 and um, I've been doing comics since the uh, uh, late 70s, early 80s, um, doing uh, stuff uh, you know, uh, in Australia and um, then uh, becoming professional and finally doing stuff in America which is where I got the first opportunity to have a crack at, at the Phantom in the 90s with Marvel Comics. <clears throat> um, and then I kind of, my career sort of segued out of comics into just general commercial art for a while. And now I'm back into comics. And it just happened to coincide with the time that Glenn Ford is an old mate and, and uh, his partners uh, bought into through. And so it was just a great opportunity. He contacted me and said, you know, would I like to get involved doing art again for the Phantom? And uh, yeah, I went, absolutely. Awesome. So
0: I must admit, I thought it was the late 80s. Uh, that was when you were on the Australian comic scene. Um, so I was out by a decade. So I apologize
1: for well, that. The thing is, it's like the Australian comic scene is a really nebulous kind of beast because. There's, you know, you could just as easily call it a, a, cottage, a a cottage industry or a hobby, yeah. and then at some stage it sort of finally creeps into being semi-professional. So, for instance, when I started doing comics, I was um, doing layouts for a friend of mine, Tad, who had this character called the Dark Nebula, and so I'd do I'd go over to his place. I was still at school, oh well, yeah, you know, I'd go over to his place and we'd just draw fun comics together. And then he started to print the comics and then I started to draw them for him. Um, and then we met some other friends like Gary Chaloner and Dave DeVries and we all joined forces and we were producing comics. And, again, it started out as um, low print runs and we didn't know if they were going to sell it all. And then they started to sell and we actually got to a point where we were selling as many issues in Australia as... You know, comics like Batman and stuff like that, which, to put it in context, Australia doesn't have a huge audience. You know, I reckon five thousand back then was about as many as you could sell, and so once you reached that point, it didn't really matter whether you were Batman or you know Cyclone Comics or whatever. You'd kind of that's it. That was saturation. So you then have to say to yourself, well, where do we go from here? So, so in that- our case, well, David and I, David DeVries and I, teamed up. And we started to approach magazines with bigger reach, like um, who might use comics, like uh, Mad Magazine and Penthouse Magazine, and just articles. anyone who might conceivably have a comic in them.
2: Yeah. What age were you then, then, that you were doing that? What's that? What age were you then when you were doing that?
1: Um, so I was born '64, so I would have been in my twenties, mid, early to mid twenties. Yep. And then I started, we start. We uh, approached the Americans in uh, about 1990, I reckon, and started to do some gigs with a, a, a small, smallish American company called Malibu, who ended up being a big company. But when we were um, dealing with them, they were still sort of a bit of a boutique, black and white, mainly comic uh, group and then once you're doing stuff for america you just kind of you do the best job you can for whoever you're with and then you've got something to shop to other companies and you kind of you know eventually approach dark horse or dc or marvel and you've got something to show them which you know is american that they can relate to and you know it might take a couple of goes but eventually they might go yeah we'll give you a go but then what they'll do is that they will pick one of their... They won't give you the premier title. They will say, you know, do an issue of Aquaman or something, um, and then they see how you go. And once you... If you do an okay job of that, then again, you can work your way up the internal ladder of that company, where, so for instance, in DC, the big prize would be doing Batman or Superman back then. I I don't know if it still is. And in Marvel the big prize would be Spider-Man and X-Men or whatever. So just,
0: just so how, happened. That, oh, sorry.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, so how high on that ladder did you get? Well, we, we got a Batman gig, which I never finished. That was, I just got, I um, uh, was just got that stage where I just burnt out. And that's, that really got me to look at doing um, commercial art and general Advertising art and stuff because um, the I, I think I I, uh, I was probably wasn't ready for the amount of work and the uh, the pressure that came with doing those American monthly books and stuff like that and I worked with I had to work with a lot of other good good mates who were helping me do backgrounds and things like that. So we had a little studio going of about five people. And it just got too much. And I just remember, like when I was doing the Batman story, our editor at that time was Archie Goodwin. I don't know if you've ever heard of Archie Goodwin, but he's a really well-known person in the comic industry. And he, he had got cancer and died. And I remember he said to me, I just said, oh, man, I'm not handling this at all well. And he said, clean, mate, it's only comics. Just, you know, you can always choose not to do them. <coughs> all words to that effect. And um, at the time, I didn't realise that he was on his last legs. So when he died, first of all, I was really appreciative that he had the patience and the compassion, I guess, to seriously discuss with me and my angst about, oh, I'm freaking out about doing comics. Meanwhile, he's dying. He doesn't <laughs> even mention that to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just you know, gave me some really good solid advice. When he died, I sort of thought, well, now's the opportune time to just pull the plug because Archie's dead no one even knows probably this project even exists. Because it's funny with um, those big companies, you get all these editors and they'll each be in charge of certain books. And it's almost like They're the king of their own little world. And none of the other editors necessarily know what an editor has commissioned. So no one knew that Archie had hired some Australians to do a a Batman story. Mm. So it was really easy just to kind of stop doing it, which is what I did. So how far in the story did you get? I finished the first issue and I just started the second one.
3: Uh, were you living over in the States at the time, or were you doing that? What was it? Sorry? Were you living over in the States at the time, or were you over here? With-
1: no, no, I never lived in the States. We were living in um, South Australia. And what you do is just go over to America a couple of times a year. What I found was I went over a couple of times. Dave DeVries, the writer, he'd go over more often. He might go three times a year, often without me, because I just found the workload of drawing. We yeah. just got to the stage where I just couldn't afford the time. It was just yeah. like all-consuming, seven days a week, 16 hours a day. It was just, you know, um, it's heavy duty. Uh, and um, that's why now, working with Fru, um, it's great having a, a close mate in Glenn Ford who um, I just said to him, look, I'd love to do some Phantom Stories, but can I just have no deadlines?
0: <laughs> and he, went,
1: yep. he said, when you've done it, give it to me and I'll print it.
0: I went, beautiful. Awesome. So you made mention of Glenn Ford. Now, um, uh, what you, you, before the podcast, you were telling us a little bit about how you met Glenn and your relationship with him. Um, yep. Could
1: you could you uh,
0: go over that again for us?
1: Yep. I met Glenn, I must have been about 12 or 13. And it's funny, like back in the 70s, the um, comic scene was really uh, tiny. And the only way you even knew the existence of other comic book collectors was through, like in the Sunday paper, there's a little swap section uh, in amongst the comics. And you'd you know, find these lads for like, wanted, swap, want to swap Marvel and DC comics, do it. And um, that was uh, where I saw Glenn Ford must have run the ad or something. And um, And so we just got together outside this, I think it was the one shop that sold comics in Sydney called the Crystal Palace Book Arcade. And and we just all meet outside this shop with our bags of comics and we just sort of block up the doorway for all the customers while we're sort of like going through each other's comics going, do you want to swap this for this? And Glenn Ford must have been about 20 and looked like um, sort of like this really groovy rock star or something with his... (laughs) firmed afro and his big moustache, sort of chunky sort of jewellery and body shirt. And I was going like, wow, he's like real grown-up kind of cool guy. And, um, yeah, and, and that was how we met, swapping comics. And then over the years, when I was doing Phantom for Marvel in the 90s, we obviously met again. And, uh, you know, he organised a, a signing tour for us and, um, and then the third time we've worked together is now, you know, in this since he's got involved with Fruit. Um, I've, I'm
0: sure I've got a picture of this, of the big moustache and all that. So on yeah, the video, yeah. I'm going to put that up. Yeah, yeah. Like you, I
1: don't know if you've um, ever watched the Brady Bunch, but there's this episode of the Brady Bunch where Greg thinks he's going to be this big rock pop star, and he adopts the name of Johnny Bravo, and he's that's. If you whack a moustache on Johnny Bravo, that was Glenn Ford. <laughs>
0: that is awesome. <laughs> oh, that's, oh that's awesome. So, um, so you, you talked about. Uh, so you grew up in. Uh, so you, you said before that you worked in the Brosser Valley. You're now yep. in Tasmania, um, but I believe you grew up and in in, in Sydney. Is that correct? Yep. yep. That's so right. did you did you also grow up? Did you grow up with the Phantom? Was the Phantom a, a comic that you read as a child, or
1: yeah? The, the, uh, it's funny. Like I was a huge Marvel fan, um, and uh, I believe the term is Marvel Zombie. And um, but the Phantom was something that I always read in the newspapers. And I'd go through these periods as well where I would just, for some reason, pick up the Phantom comic for six months. And I'd have a little run of buying the Phantom, along with all my Marvel comics and stuff. And then I'd stop buying it for some reason. But I'd always follow it in the the newspapers. And, of course, every Easter show, what did you get in the show bag? Phantom comic. Um, In fact, I reckon that was the catalyst for why I'd go to the news agency and start buying, you know. Phantom for six months, um, but the Phantom, the Phantom is is a different kettle of fish to your Marvel, DC, as you know. Um, and so he was always a bit kind of unusual, uh, you know, for someone who's used to you know following the adventures of the Fantastic Four and the X Men and that sort of stuff. The Phantoms are really standalone kind of, almost like he lived in a different, completely different universe a different sort of genre it wasn't how i understood understood comics it was almost like um, well now i can see he was a bit more like a pulp hero you know and i know obviously his origins go back to that time but whereas in the marvel universe you would have lots and lots of heroes you know x-men would meet the avengers and then they'd all be crisscrossing and stuff the phantom was more like the only masked dude in a world of normal, normal people. Yeah. So he was more kind of special. Yeah. I always thought there was nothing dumber than in Marvel when all the heroes got together for a conference or something and they were all just standing there in these stupid uniforms just talking like, oh, I'm Hawkman, I've got wings. And um, whereas the, the Phantom was a bit more like spooky because the story could be about regular people and then suddenly there'd be this mysterious guy, sort of like appearing out of nowhere. Who is he? He's got a skull, and, and he's got this devil, and um, and it, it was just a very different vibe. Which I now realise is a lot more like if you've ever read any pop stories, like the Shadow or the Avenger or the Spider, or that sort of stuff. It's the same lines. It's like the underworld and the cops and stuff. And then there's this one mysterious guy who comes in and you know beats all what the.
2: I think, Glenn, that something that certainly that I um, love about The Phantom with regard to what you're saying, and I think a lot of fans would agree, is that it's set in the real world, if you like. Like the the DC and the Marvels, that's fantastic and fantastical and it could never exist and we all know that because those people don't exist. But The Phantom could exist and, as you say, he's the only masked dude in a world form of normal people. He walks through the streets like an ordinary man and so therefore he just blends in. And it could be from, it it could actually exist. And I think that's something that we all kind of, we all kind of love about the
1: Phantom. Yeah, yeah. I I did find though, um, because I mean, the Phantom's been going for so long and you can't, as much as you'd love to, stick to the same sort of arena of stories. There comes a time when you've got to change the the type of story that's being told. And there was this period, I think it might have been in the 70s, might have even been in the late 60s, where these sort of fantasy elements started to creep in. And um, I remember a particular story about a, a blue giant yeah. who just aliens had inside him. And I, I remember, actually, as a kid, I, just, I didn't mind the story. But now that one it really rankles with me. I sort of read and I go, because eh, I guess the phantom I really love is the one who's on, like, some uh, ocean liner... In the middle of the sea and some you know someone's been killed or some jewels been stolen and there's this mysterious guy in the cabin who's you know did he do it or whatever and it turns out to be the phantom. he's crawling in out of portholes he's thumping people they're falling into those funnels down into the into the guts yeah. of the ship um yeah, yeah, yeah that's i really love that sort of stuff and um the fantasy stuff with the little people and the yeah i I guess horses for courses, and I totally understand some people might dearly love those stories, but for me, I don't like the golden beach of Chiloie, and I don't like his and hers. And what yeah, about, what about
0: Steggy? Thing. What's that? What about Steggy the Stegosaurus?
1: Yeah, you see, yeah, <laughs> but things up. Well, and some people might love that stuff, but that's yeah, um, area, but there's
0: I, a couple of Phantom fans, Sean and Nick, they're fans of Steggy and and yep. stuff like that. So, to each
1: their um, own. To each their own. And um, I mean, in some ways, I, I don't mind a story that if it's like, you know, the phantom is a, goes through this waterfall and is in this land ruled by some, you know, seductive princess or whatever. And, but then he wakes up at the end going, you know, realising he's just been hit on the head with a coconut. Did that happen? And he finds like a little bracelet or whatever. Mm, maybe. Yeah. We will never know.
2: But, uh, yeah, But I, I, I think the story that you described there that was amongst your favourite story types Glenn, almost exactly describes the plot of Death Dive
1: <laughs> Yeah, I know, well Death Dives I had to do the, um, had to be set on a boat because I love that idea of uh, you got to get on the boat, you got to swim out there you got to go underwater, sneak on the boat, sneak around but it's you're kind of trapped and it's the same with um, stories that are set on like the Orient Express, you know, you're in a train, maybe a sort of landslide or a snow slide has locked you in. It's just the people in the train. You've got to go in and out of compartments and hoarded <laughs> yeah. houses. I love those too. Secret passageways, <laughs> um, you know, so chimneys that swing, swing around and, you know, i oh, got to do one of those as well. Um, often when I come up with an idea for a story, I start off with a particular hook that appeals to me. And then try to build the story around that, that vibe or that hook. So, for instance, um, the, the idea of a house full of secret passages, I have always loved that since I was a kid. And I still love it. And so I just think, right, got to do a secret passage in a house story. And then you worry about building the plot. But deep down inside, I know it's the secret passage that's, you know, that's motivating me to do the story. Well well
2: Glenn, I can I pitch you an idea? They're, just, they're rebuilding the Notre Dame at the moment and the fandom notoriously has a room in. So
1: oh, I think yeah. we need
2: to do a secret passages in Notre
0: Dame plot four. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be per- that would work brilliantly.
0: Um talking about secret um well oh, rooms oh, and stuff credits. like that. Right? there you go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, you've you've got uh one of your giant size covers uh yeah. featured not one. But two secret
1: passages, and on the back cover as well. There's someone coming through the uh, the, the wall behind the shadow on the back. Um, and is there any other kind of coming? Yeah, passage? I don't have the I don't have the
0: back cover on me. I've just got the front yeah. cover, unfortunately, for that one. But um, <laughs> yeah, as you were talking about your secret covers, uh, the giant size. For those who are on audio, you won't be able to see this, but giant size number nine. Um, Featured a couple of secret cut, uh, secret passages. Yep, awesome. So, um, I know we kind of talked a little bit about uh, death dive and giant size, but I was wondering, uh, if we could do this uh, chronologically and go back to the Marvel Phantom. Sure. Um, now, uh, Glenn, could you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Um, obviously, there was uh, David, uh, who was the writer. Yep. Um seems like you two got up to a lot of mischief together, from what yes. I can gather. Yeah. Uh, so if you could just tell us a little bit about the Marvel fence and how that happened, um, and, and and stuff like that, and then we can kind of go from there.
1: Okay. So my memory is usually notoriously bad. So I think I think this is what happened: is <laughs> we were in New York and we were going to uh, DC and Marvel and whoever else was in New York, and showing them the stuff we were doing. And we were in at Marvel, talking to I think it was Fabian Nicieza, and um, we were chatting about, you know, what sort of things could we do for Marvel? And he said he'd just been contacted by King Features who wanted Marvel to do Flash Gordon, Mandrake, and Phantom. I think that was the three. Um, but they wanted them to do, them like, like Marvel versions of the character because I, I guess they just wanted to expand their audience because, as, as I was previously saying, you know, the Phantom is a standalone sort of pulp character and he's, he's very different um, to standard Marvel stuff. So King Features were trying to find a way of, I guess, getting the Phantom more acceptable to your typical Marvel reader. And um, Fabian Nicieza, when he was talking to us, he said, Hey, the phantom's really popular in Australia. And we went, Yeah. He said, Do you guys want to do this? And we just went, Yeah. And that was it. That's That's we
0: awesome. it. It
1: happened in about five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> um, and then uh, I think we had I think we had a couple of other jobs lined up, which we had to do first. So there was a bit of lead up time, but that was cool because they've had to write it and research it and had to have a chat with um, uh, Lee Fork just to run ideas past we make sure that we weren't going to do anything that was going to be too upsetting or anything or too you know because like, like Lee was obviously happy to have the Phantom become a bit more marvel esque if you like yeah. uh, to a degree but you know there's always there's a there's a limit. And yeah. so that was just good to also it's just it was nice for an opportunity to to talk to Lee, I didn't personally talk to Lee myself. Um, Dave did. Um, but, yeah, once we kind of figured we are all on the same page, uh, then it was just a matter of writing it and drawing it. And I think drawing it took about a, a year and a half. with um, three issues? Yeah, three issues. And it was the classic thing of instead of finishing the three issues and then publishing, boom, 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 I think I'd finished two issues and said, start printing, I'll be able to finish the third one easy. (laughs) And, of course, couldn't. And um, I think there was a big gap between the second and the third one. I can't remember now. But And also, as the project went on, um, the workload was becoming a bit overwhelming. And so in the first issue, that's pretty much all my art with a bit of help from my assistants, and then as the issues went on, I, I, I couldn't do as much of the art as I wanted, so I was doing like faces and stuff and getting other people to help with bodies, and um, so I just found it less kind of uh, fulfilling, I guess, but from a personal point of view because, I mean, ideally, I would love to just draw all the stuff that I draw myself. Um and it starts off with, well, I'll get someone to help just with, you know, doing the the backgrounds or whatever. But then bit by bit it becomes, you know, can you do the background figures and the, uh, you know, this figure and that figure? And um uh yeah, I just find that's not my optimum way of working. Whereas now doing the stuff for free, um I'm doing all of it and I'm doing it, I'm doing it until I'm happy with it and I'm not, I'm not uh, letting go of the thing until i done it the way I want it to look. Yeah. Which is really painstaking, takes ages, and I mean, there's not a lot of money in it to start with, but by the time I have spent, you know, a month drawing one, one panel, <laughs> I have really destroyed <laughs> the profitability of it. <laughs> so what I used to do is I used to have this um, food trailer business, called Haddo's Hot Dogs. and Really? Yeah, it was great because, I mean, I, I love doing it, um, but you'd make your money, your living money, doing Haddo's Hot Dogs, which would be on the weekend, like going to the footy and doing it, and then I'd have enough money in the week to just luxuriate over every panel I was <laughs> drawing and not have to worry about money. But mm. um, with the COVID lockdown and everything, that killed that, Um and so now I'm basically just uh, doing a tough financial, <laughs> but the thing is what I'll have to do is I'll just have to take on some more commercial art just to balance it. You know, I, I would love to not have to do that, but um, I've got to be realistic. And if I, if I want to honour my, my dream of doing the best comic art I can, um, then I'm going to have to compromise in terms of doing the odd wine label or you know whatever, yeah. whatever it takes. Yeah, it's no Now, the- now
0: oh, I just wanted to talk mm-hmm. about, about about the Phantom. Now, this is uh, the 22nd Phantom. If, <laughs> if you're on YouTube, you'll see uh, some panels coming up. Now, the 20 the 22nd Phantom features an updated uh, costume with um uh, with some infrared, and he's got these little um. Uh, little code-breaking uh, gauntlet there and stuff. Was that was that David who came up with those ideas of modernising or marvelizing the Phantom?
1: I think we, we both did. I think we both kind of just sat down and chatted about, yeah, what sort of things he should have to make him more like... And, and, and keeping in mind the era, this is the era where all the Marvel characters were like the Punisher and everyone carried, you know, Twin giant machine guns strapped to every limb, and, um, and yeah, and sort of Batman was that uh, dark knight kind of psychopath type yeah. dude. So that was the um, that was the the zeitgeist of the era, if you like. Right. So it's like, um, I guess we were trying to tap into that, um, yeah. and so it was all like I don't know, body armor and little computery things and whatever, um, which, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure phantom purists just sort of hate it. And to be honest, I I am enjoying having another crack at doing the phantom, but doing him um, the traditional way these days. I'm not saying I regret in any way doing the 90s one, but, um, and also that was the gig. The gig was make him like a Marvel character. So... We fulfilled that that part of the promise, um, but um, I guess in the fullness of time, I've just come back to trying to tap into what I loved about the Phantom when I was a kid, yeah. and um, the things I loved about the Phantom um, don't require any gadgets or whatever. You know, the Phantom—he's just got his—he's got his guns, and he's got his. Uh, moral yes. compass and he's, he's admirable, you know, He's, yeah. um, but at the same time, he's rough on roughnecks. So it's like he's fair, but he's tough. And, yeah. and he's a man of few yeah. words, but he's got a yeah. sense of humour. He's not one of these humourless punisher type characters who's just relentlessly grim. The Phantom, he laughs a lot. Um, and he also likes to play up on his his ghostly image, he'll use that to his advantage to freak out the bad guys, but he doesn't believe it himself. Or does he? See, this is, I love that sort of stuff. It's like um, that mystery kind of thing of like, uh, you know, uh, does he really think that he's immortal or is he just saying that for the villains or is he just, you know, having a lend? Or, um, so there's a sort of I like about the Phantom character, which I would like to... Do now,
2: this yeah. this frame that germ has got yeah. on screen at the oh, moment um, is, is just unreal. the The perspective that you offer from uh, an underwater phantom looking back up and such a cocky bad guy, but you just he's got the skull mark on him already, and the phantom's bubbling up with rage, and it's just it's such an evocative. Yeah. It's a wonderful panel.
1: Oh, Congratulations
2: on that alone.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. I also like in this the first issue. I don't think the Phantom talks till about the second last page. Is <laughs> it's just like, yeah, no, I he, think you're right. yeah. Car, he has his big car chase.
0: Yeah, that might be it. There, oh, <laughs> <that's his daddy. laughs> that, might that might be it. <laughs> shot,
1: and it's like, huh? <laughs> who, who was that masked man?
0: <laughs> that might be his only one. I love um, uh, for all the Australians and uh, cricket fans. Um, I love I love how you murfuse. put to yeah yeah
1: yeah. Murfuse, yeah. <laughs> we actually asked him if it was okay. Oh,
0: did you? Oh that was a good oh, question. That,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and but also that car chase, uh, when we were in America, we actually did the route um, from where the car chase started to where it ends. And it's like we didn't film it, but we we just heavily photographed it so that all the street signs would be in the right spot. And wow. I mean oh, it's probably over engineering. But I kind of like doing that. Um, And also Africa for a week. I went to um, spend a week in Zimbabwe uh, just to just check out what, you know, the landscape really looked like and what the towns looked like. Um, Because there is, if you wanted something to look authentic, there's always the little details, you know. Otherwise, you're just drawing a generic kind of, this is what I think Africa... An African city would look like. And um, but when you actually go there, it's you just notice little details and things that you never would have put in unless you'd sort of seen them.
0: Yeah. I, we were just... Um, that last podcast, uh, well, the last podcast we recorded was with um, Shane and Matt, and we were talking about those little details and the little Easter eggs and that little bit of care. And yeah. I, I, think, I think it does show because... I think for those who who see it and all that, it just gives. Well, for me, it just gives another appreciation of of you know of the art and and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that's
0: a great panel. I like how you've done the. Um... So sorry, just a
2: connection at the time. Did you say, Glenn, that you went to Zimbabwe for a week so that you could draw this comment? You went there deliberately. Yeah. Can you talk us through that a little bit?
1: Um... I know we just got in a like room. Like the decision
2: well, and the explaining to your family that you're going to Zimbabwe so you could get uh, visuals <laughs> for a comic you're drawing. Well,
1: you like want that, some tips. At the time, I yeah. had, a, <laughs> had a, um, a partner who I, I lived with. We didn't have any kids or anything. <clears throat> and um, I was living in Fernando, I think. And um, we, we'd done this comic for Valiant Comics. And um, this is in the days when, Comics were just booming, and as well as getting paid top dollar, you'd get these great royalty checks. And I think for this book we did for Valiant, just out of nowhere, we got this royalty check for about twenty five thousand really? bucks. It was just came a, a courier just knocked on the door. I remember I was talking to Dave at the time, and <laughs> just knocked at the door, handed me this envelope, going, "Oh, hang on a sec, uh, Dave, uh, we just got paid twenty five thousand dollars American." <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going to take this in the bank. I'm going to go to Africa for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I say Africa, Africa is freaking huge. I went to Zimbabwe, a very, very small <laughs> part of Africa. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was yeah, – Then, then like, when we were doing the Batman story, that was set in Hong Kong. So I went to Hong Kong for a week <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, that was, it was good. It was. It was great. Coming uh, back with a million photos and uh, yeah,
0: did uh, you get to claim it back on tax?
1: Bloody <laughs> <laughs> I ain't no fool. <laughs> mm, I wonder how we can yeah. do that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do this podcast like from Paris
0: yeah i'm sure our wives won't disagree with that as well if they I tried that. Yeah, <laughs> if we get to take them with us i'm if sure the wives be happy. Episodes ago. Yeah. yeah well, so I'm, I'm going to look at this story a lot with a lot more appreciation just like how the fact is that you know you've been looking at things you know with with africa and stuff that's that's amazing yeah now I think also from memory, was it the second comic or the third comic? There was a couple
1: of pages that were printed out of order. Is that correct? Oh yeah, that was so funny. It was um, I think yeah, in the second and third one, they they reprint the same page twice, and so in the climax in the third book, suddenly this this page just appears, which makes no sense whatsoever, <laughs> and remember getting contacted by someone in Sweden, I think, and they were having this big argument where one person was saying, This is clearly a misprint. Yeah, that's the page that gets reprinted twice. Oh, and wow. so one, one person was saying, This is clearly a mistake. And another person was defending it as a kind of a an artistic <laughs> work of genius. It's <laughs> like, You fool! Don't you understand what they're saying? <laughs> it's at this moment that he goes back, and, <laughs> and what's really bad is that when you know it's. Um, a mistake, and you got someone who's really talking you up, it's <laughs> and, they're, and they're saying you're a genius, and you've got to say, actually, it was you know, the other guys, the, yeah, it was a mistake. <laughs> so, I can't remember how I diplomatically got out of that. Wow, that's interesting, but I might have just told him, I'd have just said, I might have just said, um. Uh, Something like, yeah, it was a mistake. But the thing is, it also works on many levels, doesn't it? You can kind of read into it, whatever you like.
0: Yeah, no. It was, yeah, it's it's definitely not, it's definitely a different type of fandom than what um, uh, you would have, you would have grew up on. Yeah, it is. I I liked, I I enjoyed it when I read it. Um, What about you guys? Did you guys enjoy it?
3: I remember um seeing that like seeing the comic at home, like up in Mildura, and then um not being able to get issues two or three and then finally I find issues two and three um in a comic shop in Geelong and the fella wouldn't buy wouldn't sell them to me. Why not? I don't know, was saving them for somebody else, I guess. it took me until you know in the last decade for me to get all three <laughs> issues. Oh, that sucks. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I'm not going to not going to lie to you, Glenn. I did not like them at the time, to be honest. They were probably um, a little bit too Marvel for me. I'm, and I'm I'm the old man of the podcast and the most focused amongst it amongst us. I, I have had a renewed appreciation for them when I've read them over the last five or six years or so, uh, I, when I've come back to them. I appreciate um, you
1: saying that. And and I totally understand where you're coming from because I have sort of gone full circle myself. And I agree with you 100%.
0: Do you think it's just because as you get older, we... I I don't
1: know. I mean, I I think (laughs) what happens is... Don't like like that young stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that could be part of it, but I actually think, I know my attitude to drawing and writing comics. I didn't write the 90s one, but my attitude to, I guess, being a comic creator has changed hugely, and it actually changed because I had that sort of meltdown in the 90s and went away from comics. And that was really, really good because I think in the 90s, it was all about creating your own career and you wanted to be the centre of whatever book you did. So if someone said, you know, do Daredevil or whatever, instead of going, okay, I'm going to really get into the essence of Daredevil and and try to really honour what the, uh, the character is all about, my attitude would be more like, how can I do something to Daredevil? So it really stands out. People go, oh, Glenn Lumsden, he's just radically changed Daredevil and made it his own. You know, that whole idea of making the character your own, whereas now it's like, how how can I serve the character?
0: Yeah. yeah, And
1: so instead of almost being blasé about the fabulous history of the Phantom and going, oh, I don't need to look at any of the old stuff, I'm just going to do, you know, what I want so that I stand out, so I'm front and centre, now... I all I care about is honouring the phantom and and doing a phantom that really uh, resonates with what I think the the magic of the character is. And it's a totally different approach. And um, and I I guess, I mean, we all go through that phase, especially in the early years of your career, where you are very, I guess, ego, self-conscious, it's yeah. all about proving yourself, yeah. but now I just don't need that to do that. I don't feel that urge anymore. Um, I do feel more like um, it's a privilege to be allowed to do the Phantom, and mm. I just want to do. I just want to do the Phantom. I don't want to change yeah. him. I don't want to radically alter him. I just want to do the thing that makes him so wonderful. I'm um, sure So, well, yeah. Glenn um, We sort of half touched
2: on it But I don't think we ever actually pointedly asked the question How did you come to be aware of the fan? When did you first start reading comics? And uh, did you said in the newspaper Was that it?
1: Yeah, I guess I on the show bags And the Royal Easter show Yeah, right okay. um, I started reading comics
2: Do you remember your first story? What was the artist that, and uh, the era that you first really engaged?
1: Well, oh it's, I can't remember. Because in the show bags, of course, you know, one day you'd get a, a, a Cy Barry fam, and the next week it would be back to Wilson McCoy and you get, you know, so it just jumped around. Um, so I can't remember. It would have been either Cy Barry or Wilson McCoy. What's funny too is that, again, this is like because Cy Barry was more the DC Marvel style of art I was used to, I used to love him couldn't stand Wilson McCoy stuff. <laughs> now, now I still love Sly Barry. I love McCoy. I just love him. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe as you get older, you get more, you a get priest, less,
0: yeah.
1: you know, yeah. you know, it's so like everything has to conform to my rules. It's more like, hey, it's the whole world of art out there and different styles. And, um, yeah, you, I just, I don't get upset anymore about, because as a kid, kids are shocking with, um, especially comic fans, if they just react to everything viscerally, so they'll just look at your art. And this has happened to me. I'll my arm, I just go, I hate your art. I hate it. I hope you never draw another comic again. I hope you die. You know, they're, they're that. Well, I'm just going like, okay. <laughs> that um, and they, they, but it's just like they either love you or they freaking hate you, man. It's like yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem to be an in-between. And they don't mind telling you either, you know. Um, but then as you get older... I think you just maybe lose that uh, fanaticism and you just sort of go, live, live, eh, hey, you know, all the different art styles and it's cartoony and there's realistic and, you know, um, and also even art that I don't particularly, um, doesn't work for me, I still don't hate it. I just yeah, sort of go, that's not my bad. And you can find something that you appreciate out of it as yeah. well. So long as, like, I appreciate, like, I do have, standards that must be met so for instance you know consistency of style and a clear you know a control over your tools and things like that i don't care whether you're doing cartoony or realistic or whatever um if you don't display those basic skills that craftsmanship i I have a problem with that but if you're you know if you're clearly skilled then you know to each their own
0: yeah yeah
1: no and and
0: i think we've discussed it on the podcast many times with many creators and, and, and fans there, how they've all said, basically this, all, a lot of them have said the same, how they don't appreciate Wilson McCoy until later in life. I'm the same. Yeah. Um, at first, it's you know, a common theme. It really is. Yeah, it is. And, and I think there's, I think there's a lot in there. I think because we were, again, the podcast we're talking, uh, that we last recorded Matt and Shane, Shane, were. We're both just talking about the the like there's the simplicity in Wilson McCoy's art and stuff, but there's every line is there for a reason and every line is used to maximize the effect and 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 stuff like that. And I think as a kid or as a as a younger reader, you don't appreciate that until you've mature and
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think um like I know that the uh, Silver Age of comics in the sixties uh, saw a transition from, I guess, stuff that was more like Wilson McCoy in terms of its um, simplicity, and it evolved. Like there was a point, like artists like Neil Adams and Jim Steranko came in, and they introduced uh, a more, much more realistic style of art, which just blew people's minds. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there was a rejection of what had gone before. So suddenly you hated all that cartoony stuff. It's like, I'm immature, take it away, it's childish. You know, I'm into this sort of... And, and Cy Barry definitely fills into that more, yep. you know, uh, that, that second category. Yeah. Um. So maybe that's part of the reason why McCoy got rejected. Uh, and then after a while you just realise it doesn't matter, man. It's like... It's, it, 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 uh, and this is one of the great things about um, the internet Um is that it's kind of made accessible all the periods of art all at the same time. So it's not just like, you know, you grew up with this sort of music and your parents grew up with a totally different sort of music and you don't even know about that. It's like you've got all of their all the different epochs all together. And yeah. you can just jump from one to the other, you see the connections, you see yeah. the evolution of of comics and art and storytelling and stuff. It's a chain. It's it's not like one person just invented something in the fifties and then someone invented a new thing in the sixties. They're, they're linked. They're all clearly linked by people who were influenced by their predecessors. Um, And uh, I mean, like there, you could argue that all comic art started with um, Hal Foster, Milt Caniff and Alex Raymond back in the thirties. But even those guys, their influences came from book illustrations like, pulp magazine books and yeah. stuff, which is why the very early Phantoms by Moore look like they could easily be out of a, a big boy's adventure annual or something. Like yeah. You could almost imagine them with text and then just like the illustration, you know, they were that sort of style of illo. And then as comics progressed, it started to develop its own very clear style of you, know, you look at it and you go, yeah, that's definitely a comic belongs in the comic book not in any any other yeah yeah you know definitely and then
0: you've also got like the in the 50s and 60s with the space age it was very minimal with the art style as well it was very minimal um, lines and very smooth and very impactful and all that and that was represented in the comics it's fascinating
1: like the the history of comics um both in terms of the storytelling and the visuals is is like a history of of civilization you know it's you can see um it really reflects the more mores of the time and and the stylistic um uh the aesthetics of the era how they all sort of change um it's absolutely yeah, it's, it's fascinating but um that's why yeah i guess coming back to what we were talking about it's very hard to just sort of you know, pull Wilson McCoy out of the chain and go yeah. you know, without the whole thing falling apart. It's yeah. like you need McCoy in there. And I also love those really early Cy Barry stories where they obviously told him, can you stick to Wilson McCoy's style? Because that was really common in those days. Yeah. One artist left. Like uh, with Rip Kirby, when Alex Raymond died, John Prentice drew like Alex Raymond for about the first two years. Mm. And, and then as you see each strip, Slowly, John Prentice starts to emerge, yep. and he didn't really do full John Prentice for about maybe three, four years into the strip. And um, I'd say Cy Barry probably looked like Wilson McCoy for a year, maybe a year and a half. He yeah.
0: got Cy Barry got his first couple of uh, drawings rejected that he had to redraw because it wasn't Wilson
1: McCoy enough. There you go. There you go. It's it's really interesting hearing the backstories as well because yeah. often. People will say things like, oh, those early Cy Barry stories are terrible, and they have no idea that he was under a direction to draw yes. like Wilson McCoy, otherwise we're not printing it. Yeah. So what do you do? You
2: it know? it mm. goes to show the beauties in the eye of the beholder, though, because I know people who will swear black and blue that the early Cy were the absolute best. Um, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> people say it took his while to a other people say he was in his heyday immediately. Yeah. yeah. Art, uh, art depends on who's looking at it. <laughs> yep,
1: mm. and also I think an important um, thing too, with obviously with comics, is um, how enjoyable the stories are, because uh, yeah. it's a package, you know. And uh, like some of those really early Moore stories, um, a fabulous. It's the whole package is is wonderful. It's really pulpy, and sometimes I, I find more. Some of his art is is gorgeous, like almost Alex Raymondy, and yeah. then I trying to get the the odd panel which are all clunkers. And I'm going, eh. but as a as a body of work, I'd go. This is you know, I would read this any day of the week. Um, and then you know, there are other stories where if the story's a bit, eh, I even if the art's kind of good, I just think, yeah, it still doesn't really hit me in the fields, you know. Mm. Um, yeah
0: now i have another question yep um i'm for those who are on audio i'm holding up some cards it's not going to work the best because they're foil cards (laughs) these (laughs) these are from the phantom gallery intrepred um set called the year one or the y series now there's six of them now this is year one uh year one so it's it's got the first three are from your Marvel story, and yep. the bottom three are new panels. Yep. Now, this is um, the bottom ones. I'm just going to read it out. Preview yeah. from the Phantom Year One, The Devil Sands, a two-part trading card series in development for Interpret, drawn by Glenn Lumsden, written and colored by David DeVeres. Now, did that ever happen?
3: No. That was a long run up for a very short answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but,
1: um, I can't even remember. I can't remember that, <laughs> what you just read. But um, what happens is you get into these meetings and you go out for some long lunch, and everyone gets overly excited about, oh, we could do this, we could do that. And, blah, blah, blah. And, and people sort of jump the gun. And and then later on, it's like, uh, yeah, do you want to do that? No, nah, uh, I'll do that. <laughs> I, just, like, I just think if announcing things too early is just like don't do it. You know. but, yep.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Um, uh, there's we've we've had that we've we've said that a very few a, a lot of times on the podcast. Like until it's ready, until it's printed, maybe don't tell everyone about it because yeah. then yep. us us upset uh immature fandom fans who have got no <laughs> patient uh no patience will be going where's our comic where's this where's this yeah, yeah. and um yeah so i must admit i actually i have actually asked glenn this question previously i'm not sure if yeah. you remember but it was never on record or on the podcast so i had to ask that question so do you remember anything about what was the story ever
1: written was the story ever plotted or All i can remember is that because we had merv hughes you know likenesses of the villain in the miniseries and we were at some comic conventions and they were getting other uh footy stars and things I like that to turn up and I remember we had some lunches with various ones and so we were going hey we could make the villain or the 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 um guest star this you know rugby league dude or this rugby union guy or whatever and um so i, I know that was part of the story it was going to be one of the um, guest stars or something in the in the story was going to be, I think, Melman Meninga or, or I can't remember who. Um, he's a
0: rugby player, so he's not that important.
1: What's that? He's a rugby
3: player. No,
0: <laughs> so, Woody <laughs> Lewis would have
3: been chomping up the bit, wouldn't he? What's that? Woody Lewis would have been chomping up the bit to be involved in a fandom story. Yeah, I, I don't know.
1: I, mean, he's, he's I don't even know if these things were actually discussed with them or whether it was just like, <laughs> like hey, that's Mel Meninga. Maybe we can put Mel Meninga in a fan story. <laughs> hey, let's announce it on the back of the trading card.
2: <laughs> it would have gone bananas in Queensland, I can tell you, because Mel Meninga is a huge, yep. a huge name here. Uh, Joe may not recognise
0: him really, but...
1: <laughs> no, no, no I, I agree with you. Um, I'm start. just
0: winding up all of the rugby followers on this podcast. Uh, out of our maybe uh, 20 listeners, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: so you, so we talked about. Um, so we'll skip a decade or two. So we talked about how you had your um, uh, your burnout or yeah. your 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 area where you didn't do much uh, comics. Then yeah. your first. Uh, entry back into the Phantom Was actually not with Rue But it was actually with Hermes, uh, Hermes He actually did a it cover for that.
3: that It
1: was before that it was um, There's a comic shop in Sydney Called King's Comics And yes. uh, George Vlastaris, um, Who owned it He Way back in the days when we were Doing our own comic called Cyclone He used to put ads in Cyclone He was like basically our one and only um, Sponsor and so, yeah, we've known George for ages. You know, I think he was, either he was coming up for a birthday or maybe maybe King's Comics was coming up for, a, like, 30, 40 years or something. And they contacted me and said, we're doing all these bits of art for George. Could you do something? And so I did a mock-up Phantom cover like the early Fru ones, you know, okay. um, except it had something to do with King's Comics written in it. And um, so I did that. And then after that, Glenn Ford, I don't know, Glenn must have seen that. And then he rang me and said, Would you like to do a variant cover? This is I didn't even know what variant covers were. I was like, <laughs> what? a valiant cover. No, no, a variant cover. Okay. Yeah, I would like to. I understand the word. <laughs> um <laughs> so did that for Hermes. And then um, I think Glenn said, I want to do, I want to bring back giant size phantom. And he told me the whole deal with Catman and Shadow and all these other characters that Free used to do. And um, I I sort of looked at all the old covers and I went, this is so up my street. Yeah. And I love doing those covers. In fact, I just finished the latest one yesterday Um, because the deadline is tomorrow. And uh, I always... I'm sure. Glenn well, I wish be my year nine
2: English students were <laughs> as diligent with their deadlines as you are. Mate. What's that? Then? I Sorry? wish my year nine English students were as diligent with their deadlines. It's due tomorrow, but you
1: still finished it yesterday. What's going on? Well, the thing is, <laughs> I thought I was going to finish it like a week ago, but it just kept on going on and on and on, and and I'd sort of go, I'd look at it every morning and go, oh, that character's terrible. Let's oh, redraw the bloody character. And uh, um, but I finally got to finish yesterday. And my my test is uh, because by the time you've been looking at a piece of art for too long, you lose all sense of clear judgment. You know, okay. you might draw something and go, that looks fine. You go away, you have a sleep, wake up the next morning, open it up in the computer, and look at it, and just go, oh my God. you know, like the head is insanely too big, or you left one hand off or something like <laughs> that. Things which you just think, how did I miss that? But it's because You've just been focused, hyper-focused for so long. Um, yeah, you need that little downtime. So um, I finished the, the cover yesterday. I looked at it this morning and just went, ah, that's perfect. Well, like perfect as in I can't see anything wrong with it. Um, right. like, or in a year's time, I will see <laughs> what's wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> remember the very first giant-size cover I did, um, I thought – I'm so, this is the best thing I've ever done. I'm, I'm just so proud of this. And now I look at it and I go, oh, a bit a there. <laughs> so, which is good because that means that my eyes are getting better. Yeah. And um, not my eyes, but my eye for, you know, judging things um, is getting better. And, but I still, I still, I still love that cover, um, but I know I can do better.
0: So that's I'm good. Just, I'm just going to go through some of them now. Yeah. Um, while we're talking and stuff like that, it's a real retro feel to them, and
1: um, you you seem like you you, you have fun doing these comics. I, I love it. This is you know this is my happy place. You know where heroes, the comic heroes, are kind of um they're they're more heroic. You know they're they're good. You know they're, there's um uh admirable. They have admirable qualities, which I. I really like, and I guess with that, there's a certain naivety. I don't know if naivety is the right word because it makes it sound like they're dumb, yeah. but um, yeah. except um,
0: Shadow in I this one. It. Well, everyone else is doing the hard work, he's just uh, he's just knocking off a bottle there, yeah. and uh, you he's know, shield 58. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take this one home. These poor guys are lifting the heavy safe. and uh, yes. he's just like, oh, this is a good bottle, I'll uh, I'll keep this one. But <laughs> well, but the
1: shadows, done, shadow's done all the hard work of getting in to the embassy. <laughs> yeah. And
2: meanwhile uh, the phantoms coming out of a secret uh, passageway up the chimney. So
3: <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what's your process uh with your uh, covers, Glenn? Um I heard you, you mentioned earlier um about the computer. Have you always used the computer or or as soon as the computer um Came to be uh, I don't know, more accepted or more um, easily accessible. Um, did you jump on it straight away, or were you pens and paper for a long time? Or- it was
1: like it was like a um, there was a hybrid period where so I used to do everything old school, you know, brush and paper and ink and a drawing table, and then the computer came along, and I would still draw um, the old way, but then scan it in. And then do a little bit of fiddling on the computer neatening things up or you know straight perfectly straight lines or circles or whatever and then over time i just found i could do more and more on the computer and now that they've got you know cintiq drawing tablets so like my cintiq's just over there here and like here's like the pen and you just draw straight on the screen and it's great you never run out of ink you never run out of paper and it's and and also what you what you draw is digital. So it gets sent to the printer where it gets printed digitally. So there isn't any more um, photocopying or, or, or sort of bromiding or whatever, because each st- every step of the way where they do a photo of a photo of a photo to get it to a plate is a degradation of the, the image. Yeah. Um, and not to mention... You know, sort of the colours that can be wildly out. Whereas now what you see is what you get. You know, like I am ninety nine percent confident that if I colour something here, that's exactly the colour that I'll see when it gets printed, which is terrific. Whereas in the past, in the nineties, I'd be fifty percent confident.
0: Oh wow. You know? Yeah. And then they might even print a page in the wrong comic and out of all several times over. Exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a question we have to ask, and I'm sure a lot of fans will, will be wanting to know. Um, so none of your Phantom Fruit covers are done uh, traditionally? No. But what I
1: wouldn't mind doing, because um, I do I have just recently bought a drawing table again, and I want to get set up. I really want to do one-off hard copies of the covers um, and just really take my time doing it, doing it up nice and large. um, And then just so that there's a hard copy original and see if anyone wants to buy them because it just seems like, yeah, great. I think
0: think you just saw saw several people quickly uh, jumping on uh, email and Facebook to uh, put up their hands for one. Um, I've put up my hand for one. Uh,
1: Dan, Stephen?
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I
1: I just reckon that, um, I mean, in order to supplement my comics addiction, I'm going to... I could either take on drawing wine labels or take on phantom commissions. And I'm just thinking phantom commission it's like just i'd so much prefer to be doing that than Mm. some bloody label for a jam jar or something you know or some logo for a cafe or whatever um then just to
2: clarify you you just said about um, doing hard copy versions of your covers so you're saying you go back and have a look at the finished digital that you did with the cover and then
1: reproduce that on uh with as a one-off how yeah Uh, a one-off so it would be just like there's a digital original and this is the paper original and that's it. There's no, there's no more of these. That's it. Um, Cause I think that is, it's, it makes it special, you know, If it's just like, yeah, sure. yeah if it's just like, you know, sort of like print off a thousand posters or whatever. Um, it's not the same. And I know myself from like bits of original comic art that I've picked up in my travels in America, there's something great about the texture of the paper, the liquid paper, mistakes. The you know you can see a yeah. bit of pencil that didn't quite get rubbed out, and it's like yeah. a real living thing. Yeah. Um, whereas digital is never going to have that warmth or um, hum- humanity, uh, you know that that yeah, that warm quality, um, which is makes it really special.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Um I you know I collect um original art as well. And um, I'm looking at I got a couple of pieces just to the to my side over there. And and you're right, you know, I, I love all of everything you've said about it as well. That's what appeals to me as well. So um mm-hmm. definitely down for a cover. So um uh so if people are interested um we might as well get this out of the way. We normally ask this at the end of the um podcast, but what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Uh
1: just on Facebook. Just message me per you know do the little messagey thing, and um, yeah, absolutely happy as Larry. So, did you read Giant Size back back in the day? That was before my time, because I think Giant Size was fifties, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. And I wasn't born till sixty-four, so um, uh, so I don't think I've actually read a an original Giant Size. I would love to track them down, and I'm always like going on eBay every now and then, and and then they're like, like 300 bucks, cover slightly detached and missing. 300 bucks. Mm. But I think I'd love to do is next time I'm I'm in Sydney, go to the three offices and just check out all their because I think they've got like albums of just about everything the originals and they I think they're in perfect condition. That'd be I'd love to do that. Just flick through Mm. all their, you know, uh, not just giant size, but um, I really love the character the shadow um Mm. and uh i also like phantom ranger the cowboy although those first few issues are diabolical they're so bad they're so (laughs) badly drawn it's just like jaw-droppingly because i remember having this talk with glenn ford when we were just talking about giant size and he said i don't know like part of me wants to start with you know the first issue of phantom ranger first issue of shadow, and just, you know, do every issue. But he said, on the other hand, the first three issues of Phantom Ranger are like, <laughs> so it's like customer has to find, has to grit their teeth and get, get through those before they start getting some artwork, which is a bit more professional.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
1: I think he ended up biting the bullet and going with the... Oh! um So I don't know. I don't know whether that was the... Right move or not? It's all done. I think,
0: yeah, I think in some of the giant size comics, um, I can't remember if it's Kevin or, or Glenn, but they talk about how, like, the, the the deadline was crazy. Like they had like one week to, I know do, like, it was, story, it was insane, it was. Crazy. <laughs> um, and you know, like, like one week to do a story. You you talked to us before that. Um, you know, the three Marvel Yeah took you over a year to do. Yeah, do that. Um, that's so I, I kind of probably understand
1: why. A- absolutely, absolutely. Story. And then this is why you know I, I sort of like um, I've learnt to be not so sort of like you know, I guess quick to judge. You yeah. know, when you see art that you know, yeah. um, but then you sort of this guy was doing a comic a week, like for years, and yeah. you know, how the hell do you do a twenty-four page comic in a week? It's probably
0: just straight inking, I reckon. No I pencils or yep. Yep. it's probably just straight inking. They
1: were writing and lettering the story as well. So yeah. I don't know when they got time to think up the next story, but you can really forgive them for, you know, repeating face shots or flipping things or mm-hmm. silhouettes. Notice a lot of the fruit characters have no faces. It'll be like the raven, just a mask, shadow, <laughs> just a black face, because faces take a long time to draw. Yeah. you're going to have a character with just Zippo face, you just saved yourself probably <laughs> half an hour per panel
0: drawing. So did you, did you know about these characters or did Glenn give you like digital copies to like read and, and, and like learn about when you did the covers and then getting into your story Def dive? He,
1: he gave me um, digital copies to read. But also I do remember when I was a kid, getting a a comic of the shadow in a secondhand shop in Forbes when I was up there visiting my pop. And um, because I was used to the shadow, the American shadow, the, you know, (laughs) and I'm going through the comics and I'm going, what the hell is this? And it was like (laughs) the Australian shadow. I'm going, that's not the shadow. And I bought it and read it just going like, I just didn't get it, It didn't compute. and um, But now in hindsight, I know what was going on. And I, I wish I still had that. That comic but well, i don't um but yeah so glenn just gave me digital copies of the stories and stuff so that i knew what the costumes looked like and i could uh read you know get a get a feel for for um what they were like and since then i have in my travels picked up some originals yeah. when they when they weren't too expensive um that's like on ebay and stuff like that and i've had mm. some people send me some originals um so yeah yeah but I, I, I love those characters and I know that um, the hardest thing with giant size is that um, it's uh, you're trying to get phantom fans to read characters yeah. that aren't the phantom and I, I know that that's going to be a hard thing to do and so I thought the idea a good idea would be to have stories where the phantom teamed up just short little ones phantom teamed up with one of the characters where the Phantom was still the major hero in the story and the other character was clearly subordinate and the Phantom did all the major heroic things, cool things, but the other guy still got a chance to do some as well. But yeah. so it wasn't um, it wasn't trying to supplant the Phantom supremacy, but it was more just like trying to have a, I wanted readers to read and go, I really enjoyed that. That, that shadow character is not so bad. You know, yep. I hated him before, but now, you know, prepared to maybe give him another go. And yep. maybe in the future then you could do another little story where maybe the Phantom just appears at the beginning to give the Shadow his orders, and then the rest of the story is largely the Shadow by himself. And then maybe you could just do a solo Shadow story.
0: Yeah. We've talked about that on the podcast several times, just about how, um, you know, I think on the podcast, we're on the record saying that, oh, we're not sure about this giant size idea and all that. And then I think the new stories are important because it um, it really helps you, uh, it, you know, you read the newer stories probably first because, you know, you've got art from, you know, Phil Mang, Shane Foley, yourself and... And, and and stuff like that, and then you kind of like, oh, it's not too bad. And and, you, and we've all done it. Like, um, I think from memory, Stephen the Raven was one of your favorites.
3: Raven's a favorite yeah. of mine. I'm still Catman has has come on board now since uh, since change Was it Scorpio? Scorpio? Scorpius series. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind it, but um, I hated Catman when when I, when he first came out, and it was like you're saying before. Um, I didn't mind the um the Phantom Ranger stuff, but the you know the early the early issues of that, but um the early issues of Catman it, it was just I, <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Uh, I know, I no was one totally likes Catman. turned on
1: this
3: Catman. Yeah, uh, it was just it was, uh, it was just a, a home brand version of a of a few different particular you know got the Phantom you know his sidekick's name's Kit. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the cat, no, I, I didn't like it.
0: <laughs> Sorry yeah.
3: for the cat fans out there who have stumbled across the Phantom podcast. Yeah,
0: Dan, <laughs> did you have a favorite?
3: I'm sure both of those people are
2: going to turn off in disgust. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: no, when I started reading Giant Size, uh, The Shadow was the one that I and I, I feel like I might have mentioned it at the time, but um, certainly The Shadow was the one that I um enjoyed the most. Um, I've taken longer to come on board with the Ravens, still not a big uh, I can't get a, alongside the uh, what's the the medieval one?
0: Oh, the the Falcon. Falcon. so Falcon, Falcon.
2: I, I can't really get a hold of him, but yeah, I, I the death dive story, Glenn. I really enjoyed mm. this, and it was the um, in all due respect to Shane, but I really enjoyed this team up, um, probably the most of any team up in the in giant size so far. Uh, it's <laughs> just a really Good story, and and because it had all of those phantom tropes that you talked about before, um, right at the very start of the podcast. Um, you know, this this is a real phantom pirate at sea, underdog, yeah. people getting blown up. He's underwater. You know, it, it was just a ripper from start to finish.
1: Fantastic! I'm so happy to hear that because um that's what I was trying to to do is is to. Um, I, I wanted to have the Phantom as that kind of that that rock, you know, that that totally dependable guy who, in any situation, is keeps his cool. Yep. And um, and so you know, the Shadow, by comparison, is kind of almost like almost a bit of a bromance kind of crush, <laughs> like of oh, this guy's incredible, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which which sort of you know raises the Phantom up but also hopefully um, makes people like the shadow a bit more because he's not upstaging the phantom in any way. Yeah. Um, and another thing I like doing in uh, stories is trying to have, like, villains who are kind of, you know, they do bad things, but they have a side to them as well. You can kind of sort of understand why they're doing what they're doing. They're not just, you know, it's not just that cardboard two-dimensional villainy. It's like...
2: Yeah. Can but they of, all still need to be blown up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still need to be blown
0: up. But, um, I noticed your shadow also has uh, facial features. You were just telling us that... Uh, yeah,
1: I know, because it's just really blur drawing a character with no face. <laughs> because you can't, they can't look like they're smiling or quizzical or there's no nuance. Yeah, it's just like this like,
0: one here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I kind of just... I mean, the whole idea of a latex mask that adheres... Totally, do your face anyway is just it's like ridiculous. And and what about the hair? Is the hair part of the mask, or does it just magically go to the hairline and vanish in? I don't know.
3: Well, hoping you could explain that to us. <laughs> also, I don't care because it's comics,
1: and that's what I love about comics. Yeah. I mean, like I also like this world where the shadow meets the phantom, and it's, there's no they don't have to explain anything. It's just like. You're obviously a superhero. I'm a superhero. Let's go and save these people on the boat. Boom. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a world where, because this is like um, in the, the early Phantom stories as well, is that people would discover that the Phantom was like, you know, on a boat or on a train or whatever, and they just go, oh, there's this guy with a mask and a costume in this room. And it was like just, it's, oh, okay. <laughs> no one goes... No, no, that is insane. There's a guy with a mask in a room. So it's just like, well, he must be a hero. So let him be a hero. And uh, I like that kind of world. It's it's uh, it's it is make believe, but it's kind of joyously. Um, I don't know. It, it just takes me back to a more innocent time yeah. where the heroes they wear costumes, live with it. That's the nature of the world. And I like
0: I like this bit here where it looks like they're almost having a hand, uh, like a hand grip type of contest. You know, like when you have like two guys and they're trying to show their uh, their strength by who can sh- who can shake the squeeze the other guy's hand harder and stuff <laughs> you know, like I, that.
1: I just remember that my dad, uh, when he taught me to handshake when I was a little kid, he said, "Glenn, no one wants to squeeze wet, uncooked sausages." Said, "Look him in the eye." Firm handshake, not a bone crusher, but a firm handshake, and that's what you do. And I've always remembered that. And and I in my time have definitely had handshakes with people which have been the the uncooked sausages, and you know, like no, no, no. these two guys look at each other in the eye, boom, firm handshake. What a, and what
2: I think is incredible about that then, and you've said it though, the the two characters are looking at each other in the eye, but it's also at around the hands, it's seven lines. Um, you go doot, 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 that you've just gone do 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 and that that adds that that emphasis. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's brilliant.
1: It's 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 sort of manly without being um, chauvinist, yeah. because I um, yeah. appreciate that a lot of what are seen as male qualities um, in the past have been not admirable qualities. You know, like the, the sexism and chauvinism and being overly aggressive and stuff like that. but what i would like to focus on and i think the phantom is a great example of this is that there are traditional manly qualities which are actually very upstanding and charming it's, and good and you can be proud to pass that on to your son that yep. you know, this is the way a gentleman behaves and without you know without being ridiculous about it and sort of you know treating yeah. women like they're all like made of porcelain and whatever, and having to overdo it. But yeah. I, I just think there's a nice middle ground where you can be quietly a, a man and it means something that's good rather than yeah. what's being associated with something that's a downer. You know, yeah. like he talked over the woman. He, you know, was being a bully. Blah, blah, blah. No, he was being a gentleman who... Um, you know, sort of knew when to help and when to stand back, and you know, they're they're sort of the qualities I admire. I remember their qualities that I really admired in my father, and their qualities I admire in the Phantom, um, which I would like to have in in the stories. You know, yeah.
0: Um And as the as the father of two daughters, you know, that's what you want them to eventually, you know, marry and end up with is someone. Yeah. yeah. Not saying the phantom, but someone who, you know, who is strong, but is also, you know, is gentle and that's attractive. right. Yeah. Yeah. A true gentleman.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, uh, that, um, I, find if I can get that sort of ethos in mm. every phantom story I do, that to me would be, um, a big box ticked yeah. in my, you know, wish list of, uh, you know, things I would like to do in stories I write. Yeah. I love this cross hatching underwater as well. That's another thing the computer's great for, because <laughs> you do like a few lines and then you go cut, paste, cut, paste, cut, paste, and build up a tone. <laughs> Whereas in the past, <laughs> I would draw every bloody line <laughs> and you would just go cross-eyed. And the good thing too is yeah, I can do one of those um, series of, of cross hatches and keep them so the next time I have to do another scene a similar scene I can use the old cross hatching recombine them in different ways to create different shading effects but it just means that um, it saves you a lot of time and it makes you more inclined to do those things whereas yeah. if you have to do them all by hand you sort of go uh, do I really need a cross hatch pattern couldn't I just like maybe go black you know just have it all black or whatever <laughs>
2: One, one thing that you're not cut and pasting, and I don't know what page or, or issue we're looking at, Jim, but we've been sitting on this one for a while, which is where um, The Shadow and Phantom are both um, buddy breathing on the regulator uh, yeah. underwater. And just the swimming in synchronicity, like the uh, just the posing of the two characters with the way their arms and legs are kicking and swimming. And they're just, yeah, you, you're on it there, Jim. They're just, they are swimming together. You've you've absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Done. A that, team. that image. They're a cohesive team, and that's not a cut and paste.
1: <laughs> no, 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 They're a cohesive team of heroes on a mission, and they they share more or less the same you know goals and stuff. And um, the same air in this case. Yeah, the same air. Yep. And is that the element of like uh, trust? Like the and the shadow says it, but it's like you couldn't ask for a better like buddy breathing depends on trust, yeah. and you couldn't get a more trustworthy partner.
0: Than the fan, the fan yeah. yeah. So, and of course, so. this was all pre-COVID.
3: Um, <laughs> <laughs> Underwater was, it would wash it away anyway. There was
0: no sanitising it after every <laughs> time. <top. laughs>
3: uh, just, just wondering, Glenn, Like, um, now you've done a, a deep dive story, but uh, and we know that you've been an artist for a long time. When when did you start? Have you always been writing stories, or is it just a new thing that's come along? Well, the funny thing is, is that I. Um, when I started drawing comics,
1: I used to always write plays and things. And um, there was a period in the really early days when we were doing the self-published comics in Sydney, I was also writing plays and having a bit of success getting those plays put on. And so I was always a bit like, do I want to draw? Do I want to write? I don't know. I love doing both. But then when I teamed up with Dave DeVries, because he was a, he used to do writing and drawing and coloring and stuff. So we kind of doubled up, and so we just decided, well, you write, I'll draw, and you color, and I'll do the lettering. And it seemed like a, a good way of divvying it up. But I guess the um, <clears throat> the 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 downside of that is, well, I didn't think this at the time, certainly, but the downside is that you don't get to write anymore, and I love writing. So um, this has been another great thing about having this uh, chance with Fru to do the Phantom is that I get to write as well as draw, and writing is something that I, I love doing, um, and I get a chance to do the whole box and dice the way I uh, envisage it. That's another thing with um, when you work with someone else, um, even if it's really enjoyable, there it's not the same as working by yourself because it's inevitable that, you're both going to have to compromise. And I know David DeVries, he had to put up with me constantly you know, changing things. And he was going, oh, did you have to change that? And I was like, yeah, I really wanted to draw that. And you go, okay. But then you know, he might write something. And I go, yeah, maybe we could write it that way. And he's going, no, no, this is the way I want to write it. So I guess there always is that feeling of, you know, despite the, the positives, there's always that feeling of one day I'd just like to do the whole thing myself. Um, and now I'm getting a chance to do that, and I'm uh, absolutely loving
3: it. I just, mm. you
1: know, mm. I'm, I'm the happiest I think I've ever been. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. why
3: it's good. Yeah. But it's but right. Happy phantom in, in its true sense, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Happy phantom. <laughs> Very, Very well, well. done. So, yeah, well, yeah. See, I'm, I'm onto it. it. Um, so, yeah, I just, yeah, I was, I was wondering, because the way you... Um, you're talking about the characters, so much depth, and you know the reason why you, um, the way you planned things out, and and the the, the thinking behind the storylines. So he's not late to the party here on on mm. on his writing. He's been doing this for a while. He's had the ideas for a while. So yeah, when you said you're a, you know, a, a player, I thought, ah, yeah, here we go. And um, but but you worked with David for a while, like not just on Phantom stuff. Very long
1: time, yeah. I reckon about almost twenty years. Wow.
2: Um, um, Lee, Lee Falk was quite famously um, he considered yeah. himself more a playwright than a comic book artist so, or author yeah, sorry yeah. So, that's yeah. right
3: yeah, yeah I do happen to have something of yours that's not Phantom um, I picked it up from the library when they were, they were clearing stuff out so I got it on the cheap if I'm being <laughs> honest um, but I didn't, I didn't realise it was yours I have got it for the title and um, then later on I saw the name there I thought that name's familiar and I checked it out and thought, ah, yes, they're Phantom guys. So I'll hold it up to the camera there.
0: Oh, hang on. Let me stop sharing this so okay. you can actually just bear with me. Oh, I'm pressing on the wrong buttons. All right. Talk,
1: Steve. Is that it there? Round the Twist. Yeah, yeah. I remember that? Around the Twist. Yep.
3: So, um, you know, being a, a kid of the 80s and 90s, near Paul Jennings and Round the Twist. So when I saw the uh, a comic version of Round the Twist, I was like, I've got to have that. Then I'm, um, yeah, looking through it. That heart seems kind of familiar. And yeah, have a look down the bottom. And there we have uh, Glenn Lumsden and uh, David DeVries. So, yep. yeah, it's not just phantom work I've got of yours. <laughs> I, just thought no, I,
1: actually, I think yeah. before we started the phantom, um, that was one of the books we had to do before to get done so we could go on to the phantom. And, uh, of course, Penguin uh, books, there was a Penguin Australia. So it just happened by coincidence that while we were trying to get work in America, we also got contacted by... Penguin Australia, and um, so and we said, yep, we'd love to do that. So we we did that, and I think we did that, in the, and we had to do the Eternal Warrior yearbook for Valiant, and then we could start Phantom. I think that's the order it went in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we were bloody busy and in those 90s. <laughs> it, was, uh, it made my head spin. I don't know how I got through it, to be honest, because um, it was just endless and, and you it was always chasing a deadline and it was just i don't think i've had any time off unless i you know, went to africa <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> work related though don't forget yeah, I mean,
1: you were <laughs> and eyeballs bleeding and, and pulling mm. your hair out
0: yeah so i guess that's one of the reasons why you ask glenn that you want to do phantom stuff but there's no deadline yep
1: and, and even when, though
0: your giant size covers do have deadlines, I.
1: Yeah, I know, but they're like, <laughs> it's like every three months. So it's like not a problem. Um, I still managed to go up to the. <laughs> I still had a few close calls though. Um, that's usually when, like, when I was trying to get Death Dive finished and I had to get a cover done. And then there'd be the odd trading cards as well. And, and then suddenly I'd find myself just working around the clock and. Um, uh yeah, I I I just I can't um I can't handle the stress anymore, you know? Like in the 90s, it was like cool to not sleep for 3 days. It's like, I yeah, just, you know, just been working for 72 hours, and haven't had any sleep." And, and now, I can't think of anything worse. It's like torture. And I'm,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure your wife probably agrees with that as well. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, it really affects me physically, like um Yeah, I just get Shaky and oh, nervous and just uh, mm-hmm. so the um the, the the deadlines that Glenn sets me are just sweet as and it's he's fabulous he's so he's fantastic um i can't say enough good things about Glenn.
2: Glenn oh, I need to ask um a few of your yep oh sorry uh so I just need to ask a, a couple of your um giant size covers in particular have been turned into posters that were produced and um, the folio series as well that um, your arts appeared in. Have you you gathered those yourselves? Were you happy with the way that they came out?
1: Yeah, Glenn always sends me a copy of all all those things. Yeah, in fact, I've got um, some of those prints. I've got them framed and on the living room walls. Um, The little folio thing, I, I actually thought that was too small. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted it to um, have the logos and stuff on because I actually find to my mind a comic cover isn't a comic cover unless it's got like the Spider-Man logo or the Phantom or whatever it happens to be, and the the little comics code authority and the price, the date, all that stuff is in for yeah. making it a comic cover proper without that because when you're designing it, you leave blank spots for those logos to go in. yeah. So when it's printed without them, there's this sort of odd sort of compositional imbalance where you go, oh, it's cool there, but it's very empty there. Yeah. Like that logo in it, it looks official. It looks like, yeah, that's a real one, you know? And um, so I would have liked all those ones to have been A3 with a, you know, the logo and all that sort of gear on it. Yeah. Hmm.
2: No, I agree. And I, um, I'm sure I would have said, um, when we, we reviewed the posters at the time, that often that they do look they do look vacant across that top third because the banner, the phantom headlines, just not there.
1: That's right, yeah, and that that logo is so flipping big um, that <laughs> yeah. it's, it's an intrinsic part of the composition. You know, it yeah, really yeah. looks cool. It's you know, it's the final. You've got to have that. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, can we ask you some questions about Gaslight? Yes. Um, I'm not sure you're, what you're allowed to tell us or what you want to tell us, but um, could you tell us about how you got
1: involved with Gaslight? Uh, yep. like um, the This is the, the first Gaslight. I've actually written a second one, which I don't know if that's ever going to get published, but the first one was uh, Christopher Sequira's idea, and I think he did seven installments or whatever. And then I'm not exactly sure why he couldn't do the last ones, but he couldn't. And so Glenn just contacted me and said, well, <laughs> and, um, and he, he did kind of want to wind it up fairly rapidly. Hopefully, he said within two or three, I think there were nine page or eight page installments. Um, so within those parameters, it was kind of like, okay, you got to round it off. So it makes sense. And you got three installments to do it in. <laughs> Go. (laughs) So that was basically the brief. Um, And so I just did the best I could within those constraints. Um, And then Glenn asked for a second one, which Jason Paulos drew. And uh, that was called the The Riddle of the Grey Malkin. And uh, I don't know if that's ever going to get published. That that was a really good story too. Um, But... uh, yeah, we'll just wait and see. I mean, like, there's, Jason Paul is so fast as an artist. Yeah. And he produces so much. I reckon Glenn Ford could do nothing but publish Jason Paul stories for a year. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, wow, mountain of unpublished <laughs> stuff. So I don't know whether Gaslight... I don't even know if Gaslight's a goa or not, whether yeah, you know, it's got... I remember Jason sent me
0: a photo or something. And you know those a 3 folders he yeah. had a stack of them like this and he said that's all unpublished phantom yeah. stories that are all that's all been scanned in colored yeah. and and it's just like you know
1: jason is so fast that uh, when i was writing this the second gaslight he was drawing faster than i was writing it was, <laughs> it was like I'd, be, I'd send him like nine pages to draw and i think oh that'll keep him busy for a couple of weeks and then I'm sort of drawing the writing the second episode. He's going done, but what I'm going? huh? So I've got to like give him the first three pages of the next installment. I go, <laughs> 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 and in the end I just have to tell him like just slow down, just take it off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't do it. He's like, oh, no, I got to do something. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a funny.
0: He's he's a very talented guy, Jason. Like he he's a musician. I um, heard he yeah. uh, also built his house and. Yep. Um, and, and and drawing and stuff like that um, yep. talking about Jason another thing that that I have found I've when I whenever I talk to uh, especially well any creators creators especially in Australia but also even overseas when they're dealing with through yeah. they always somehow say oh yeah when I talk to Glenn Lumsden about this and that you seem to be like the, dare I say it, the glue of the company in a sense? Like there's all, you seem to attract these phantom creators and they always bounce ideas off you or be a bit like a mentor to them. And is that by design or is that just, you're just oh, a natural friendly guy? I,
1: it's the first I'm hearing of it. So that's, I mean, that's <laughs> great. I, I bet I had no idea that's uh, what was happening. Um, but uh, I... I guess what I... I know I've got years of experience, so obviously that's a plus. And um, I try to be uh, reasonable and um, measured in my responses. So um, maybe that makes people feel that they can bounce any idea off me. I'm not going to go, that's stupid. Don't don't do that. Um, And I always try to give feedback, which is honest and authentic and nurturing and and useful. So, for instance, if some, if you brought something to me that I, I thought was a bit of a weak story, I wouldn't say, this is rubbish, stop writing. I would go, okay, I think this is working. I think this bit doesn't quite work for me, and I think this is the reason why maybe, maybe it needs this. So you're actually, you're not making the person feel bad yep. or dumb or anything and you're actually offering them a way to get better. And this is what I found with my art. I, in the, in the um, early days of my art, when people criticised my art, it would just hurt me so much. And that was just my ego, you know, when in fact they were trying to tell me, Glenn, you're drawing all the heads too big. And if you just shrunk them on the photocopier by 10% and stuck them back on your drawings would be three times better instantly. And it just took a while for me to appreciate that. It was like, they're helping me. They're giving me the roadmap to improve. And all I've got to do is shrink the heads 10%. It's, I've It's got to do hardly anything to make the drawing three times better. And once you approach criticism, it's got to be like positive criticism, not, not you know, bagging abusive stuff, but once you approach people's Comments and criticism in that way, you improve. It's actually it's it's the being your friend, and I like to have that attitude when people come to me with stuff. Hearing you say that,
2: I mean, it seems like a bit of a shame you spent so much time in a hot dog truck, and uh, perhaps you should have been a teacher. I was thinking exactly
1: the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved teaching as well. I, I like when. um we had the, doing the fandom and we had this group, Barossa Studios, and there was me and about five other guys. Um, I did enjoy the the, the mentoring aspects because um, obviously they're coming to you, they don't have as much ex- experience as you do. And to be able to kind of, nothing makes you a better craftsperson yourself than having to teach someone because you really have to crystallize your thoughts and you've got to communicate well and you've got to do it in a positive way which inspires rather than puts people down and if you can teach someone something you usually really know that stuff yourself you know because it's reinforcing in you um and sometimes i'll be you know i'll be in the process of mentoring someone and go Oh, you know, I didn't really realize that that's why I did that. <laughs> you know, it's just like now it's funny to you. So, well, that's why you. Uh, uh. Yeah. So, yeah. you're teaching yourself as well, really. Yeah, wow, yeah. oh, amazing.
0: It's yeah. Well, I've talked to. I can, you know, I think of several, and they've all said that. You know, you've been, you've been an immense help in in talking to and bouncing ideas off, mentoring them and stuff like that. So, um, uh, yeah, it's just I wanted to raise that because I. I I know there's creators out there that uh, appreciate that work you've done with them. Well, I'm stoked to hear that, and
1: it's an absolute pleasure to do that.
0: Awesome. Now, we probably should talk about the elephant, and that would have to be the grey elephant in the room when it comes to your covers. Grey. <laughs> um, yeah. Bring gray. it on. Grey. what's? Can you tell us a little bit about your grey phantom?
1: Yeah, well... When I was growing up and buying through comics, the Phantom was always grey on the cover. And then somewhere like along the way, he became this bright vermilion pink. <laughs> and, and the people who were younger than me, who had never grown up with a grey Phantom, they're going, the Phantom's this pinky purple. And, and you go, yeah, but he, but he used to be grey. No, no, no he's always been, he's always been pinky purple. And then you go back to the really early Phantoms where in the script, even though the comics were black and white, in the script it would say the grey ghost moves, you, like a grey this, and this grey figure. And I saw it. it was a guy <laughs> in a grey outfit. How can there be any confusion? <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> Now, I know. The thing is, I'm not saying he can't be other colours. I'm not saying he can't be purple. But the purple people tend to go, he can't be grey. Uh, to me, that doesn't make sense. And, like, also, one of the great things about The Phantom of My Love is that different countries have coloured in differently because they obviously just weren't told. It was, and also, um, you know, people, the comic fans tend to think that um, all these decisions made in comics are made at a very high level of, like, we're <laughs> a meeting today, and now we're going to discuss what colour... Whereas, in fact, it's like, hey, we've got to colour this bloody comic which we've got to print today. What colour is he? I don't know. What colour paint have you... i got... I got green. Okay, he's green. And then the next issue, it's like, we did him green last issue, but we don't have any green. Do you want to make him red? Okay, we're red. Him red. <laughs> and that's what happens. And, and the fans can sometimes think that that is like, oh, that's, that's written in law. There was some big decision, you know, when in fact it was just a printer in Argentina just thought he looked good green. Meanwhile, a printer in France thought he looked good with red and blue pants. And I kind of like that because it's like there's a, yeah. phantom, a different flavor Phantom for you know everyone around the world. And um, it's purple here. Yeah, I know that's because it was the Billy Zane movie <laughs> Phantom. See, so the thing is, I, I, I do the grey Phantom for me because this is a vintage era Phantom book, the giant size Phantom. Yeah. Um, and then the more I did the grey, I just thought. Margaret, I, I like him grey. <laughs> so, you know, I've done the odd cover for the regular Phantom book. Yes. What I always try to do, though, is I always sample the the, the grey from an actual old Fru comic, you know, with the eyedropper tool in Photoshop. Yep. So I, I just go through all the collection of Phantom covers. And I'll just go, yeah, that one, I drop it. That's the colour he's going to be in this cover, which always I'm using when people go, Phantom's not grey, you know well, he was an issue 46. Well, <laughs> the funny thing is you look at all those through ones and it's like, he's different shades of gray. Then it'll be like almost Brown for one. Then it will be gray again. Then it will be kind of purpley gray. And then, and then somewhere in the late eighties, I think he was red for a, for a few issues or, or already, ready Brown. And then boom, bright pinky Cerise, just mind numbingly bad purple. <laughs> And he's kind of stayed there It's like That's the colour of the Phantom But it's not the colour He always was Mm. Mm.
0: And he's Instead of uh, Jocks He's wearing boy briefs. Yeah yeah I
3: was about to ask ask About the the longer pants
1: Well One thing I I do love About the Phantom as well Is that You know those old Jungle gym movies Where Johnny Weissmuller Has his pants up Around his nipples Like you know (laughs) And the Phantom Always seemed to have this Like his belt Was almost like a corset which would start <laughs> just to be under his his pe- uh, his pecs, and it just gave him this appearance of wearing like Harry High Pants kind of thing. And and I hate sluggos, so just having briefs to me kind of looks more modest and less kind of.
0: You reckon know, it doesn't uh, doesn't creep up his bum? Oh, yeah. Like what much. I really
1: hate is when <laughs> they do the fan. He's almost wearing a thong. You know, it's <laughs> like this high cut thing. <laughs> I like, ah! No, just I like the the boxer shorts. Keeps you firm. Keeps everything in place. Allows you to get about the serious business of superheroing. <laughs> and um, well, you know what?
0: This might be the first time on the podcast we've talked about the Phantom's undies. Yep. Yeah. When well, you creep when you're fighting pirates, <laughs> you?
2: It probably is. It's probably a podcast special in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the track. Um, I, always, I was honestly going to ask you, Glenn, about because um, your phantom is a is a thick set phantom. It's more of a a, a rock than a um, oh, Life. you know, yeah, the lithe phantom. So you, you clearly like your your phantom with muscles.
1: Yeah, but but I don't. And this is a mistake I made in the 90s. Well, not a mistake, but it was a choice which I wouldn't do now. Is having that overly ripply, you know, vein popping. Arnold Schwarzenegger build, whereas I just like the fan to be more like, like you see 50s movies with their, you know, the, the big strong actors. They're, they're big, but they're not like a swollen walnut, you know, sort of. Yeah. Thing. Um,
0: We've got the saying of, uh, yeah. what is it, a condom for the full of Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. That's so cool. I guess I'm aiming more for that 50s idea of what a Strong man would look like, um, and that with the hairy high pants and the boxer and the the, the brief the the shorts, it's ticking all my boxes. <laughs> so well, the good thing
0: about that design is that uh guys, is it means it it's 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 well it's more like us as well, you know, bigger and bulkier
3: and <laughs> <laughs> you' got your briefs in the outside too. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic
0: so do you have any more
1: uh phantom stories uh on yep. yep yeah i've got one which i hope to get in the next not the next giant size as in the one i've just done the cover for but the one after that i'll do a phantom ranger story with the phantom nice. so that would be i guess technically set in the 1880s um and yeah the phantom's obviously in the, in the west um And that's this time doing that's a 13 pager because I figured the the last one, Death Dive, took me just so long. I just thought, okay, it's crazy to try to do another 28 pager. Now I'm just realizing that 13 pages is too long for me as well. So (laughs) after this one, the next one's gonna be six. (laughs) Because what ideally I would love to do one for each giant size, which means I've got three months. I should be able to do a seven pager in three months, plus a cover, you know, but I am so slow now. I, I'm basically doing a panel a day. So when I do a story and I count up all the panels, if it's 100 panels, it doesn't matter how many pages it is, if it's 100 individual panels, that's going to take me 100 days. And you go, ooh, that's... Ooh. So, that's, that's most you of you your know. three months. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really deceptive. And that, Also, what I found with this Phantom Ranger story with the Phantom in it, um, because I worked on less pages... I didn't trim the story, so I actually just ended up doing, instead of doing four and five panel pages, I've got more eight and nine panel pages. <laughs> so I'm really doing the same amount of work. <laughs> just you not getting paid for the
0: same either. you probably get paid less, eh? Because they pay you by... Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'm, I'm getting paid, well, half, because it's half the length, <laughs> yeah. um, which is all well and good. It's up to me, because I get a free hand. Glenn just says, Dip, do whatever you want. Um, so I've got no one to blame but me. <laughs> the next one we're going to keep it simple six seven pages and just try and keep it to six panels a page because that'll be that'll be 42 panels 42 days
0: <laughs>
1: mm. so what's that two months and don't
0: forget you said you wanted to uh redo the covers as well so that's something
1: else that you're yes to i reckon for, that would like. take me ages or i could because i haven't picked up a brush for so long i'm just going to have to Mm. Just get back into that And then you know, I could see myself Spending a week Or something um, Doing each one Because I wanted to be big I-, I like the idea Of the original art That if you hang it on your wall It takes up A kind of an impressive amount of size yes, Rather than A little statement bitty. piece and, Yeah, it's usually like, Go, whoa, whoa. Then you frame it It gets even bigger That's like, whoa yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And also
1: It's got to be big enough To hide the secret panel That is behind the piece <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, well, um, this has been a blast. Uh, guys, have you got any other questions? I think I'm just looking through the run shirt. I think My I'll... wife will be frozen solid. It's been yes.
1: two hours. We <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: have to go out and revive it with her with <laughs> it. <laughs> so, for those who have come in late, um, you've kicked your wife outside into, in, into the, the sub
1: zero you... cold of Deloraine. It's probably like about one degree out there.
0: <laughs> so you could so you could spend two hours chatting with a bunch of Phantom uh, fans
1: because priorities. what would the phantom do he would do that, he would <laughs> that into the fog in the snow
0: <laughs> Oh, um, guys do you have any other questions
3: it's three oh, degrees no, I, I don't just know. I don't I have that. any other questions
1: well that it's three degrees I just googled
3: know. the weather it's three degrees there, right there.
1: <laughs> except you're the one kicked out
3: yeah. Oh dear, I'm nice and warm in my car
1: though. Actually you'll do what the Phantom would do. was oh, yeah, saying "Oh, hey, darling, I will go out in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <no>. Good idea. <laughs> um
0: Yeah, I, I, I've really enjoyed tonight. Um just getting to know you, getting to um getting to know you better, getting to uh, learning all the stories. Um just you know, um it's just it's it's been a blast. Really, uh really fun going through the the covers, the the Marvel stories, the, the trading cards and, and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I, on behalf of myself, I just really want to say thank you for um, giving us your time tonight. Um, and, I'll, and I'm sure uh, Fru will be happy that you did your Giant Size cover before you talked to us as well. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, on behalf of myself, uh, I'll let the guys say it as well, but I, I appreciate your time tonight.
1: Thank you very, very much. It's been an absolute Joy and um, enjoyed every second of it. I'm really glad, so sort of, I ended up relenting and going with the video thing rather than just having that black <laughs> screen with a voice cut out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I'm it, still it, getting rid of the Zoom though. I'm getting this Zoom is going off my heart. <laughs> second, moment.
0: oh, that's good. Uh, guys, do you want to say anything before I sign out?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say one thing, and um, Glenn, one thing I was struck with through the conversation is how much, uh, whether you see it yourself or not, but I, you are a steward of the Phantom and who the Phantom should be, and I really like having heard what you said about, um, you know, doing doing what you wanted to do and, and needed to do for Marvel in the in the day, but um, then being reflective of that and. Um, and adaptive of that. And 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 the way that you really see, yeah, being a steward of who the fandom should be. Um, I, I, I love your approach. And thank you so much for sharing that with us tonight. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing more of your work.
1: My pleasure. Great talking to you.
3: And you've spoken with such... Um, passion and, and, and enthusiasm for the character and and all that you doing and yeah, I can't wait to, to see well to see the next giant size cover for starters, and then and the rest of the uh, and any future stories that hopefully they publish soon.
1: Well, I'm really chopping at the bit to do the one thing. I find is my pace because I'm so slow. I have all these stories I want to do, and I keep on worrying I'm just going to run out of life. <laughs> 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 you know, you it's might just have to get three up. To do one bloody story. i was like yeah
0: yeah i have to get jason Paulus to uh draw him for you <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, <he'd> have, <laughs> i would have a chance to write him he'd be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so listeners i hope you enjoyed that as much as we did we had a blast uh talking with glenn um learning about him learning about everything that he has done uh like uh like glenn said if you are interested in putting a hand up for one of uh for some commissions or original art and stuff like that uh please contact glenn via his facebook we'll have that up on the screen if you are a youtuber um, so thank you for glenn thank you dan uh Stephen for uh joining us on a school night um so of course uh you can find us on our website which is chroniclechamber.com our email address is chroniclechamber at gmail.com you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or the various apps like Podbean, Player FM, uh, CastBox, Listen Notes, or Watch on YouTube. Now, we are on uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram as well. So if, if that is your poison, uh, make sure you follow us on that. Um, so that's all from us today. Uh, from myself, happy, fa- happy phantoming, and thank you for listening.
3: Happy family. Years Happy, here. family. Washed a Happy family. Adios. Happy family. Happy family. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must
1: eradicate piracy, injustice, and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The <laughs> Goes to walk The Phantom! Enemies
0: beware! The Phantom's always there! But you won't find the
3: Phantom! He finds